From the Amazon to the Himalayas, God is accomplishing his mission. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Stories and conversations with the global church and for the global church about the mission of God in the world. And now here is your host, Paul Aiken. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken, and we're going to continue our survey of global cities around the world and hear what God is doing in some of the most well-known cities on the planet. Our guest today is Alex. Alex and his family live and serve in London, England. I've known Alex for many years. He's one of the most joyful and enthusiastic people that I know, and I'm thrilled for you to hear from him today. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Paul, thank you so much. It is my privilege and joy to be with you and to share some of the amazing things God has done in and around us here. Alex, why don't we start by by just letting you share your testimony. It's always good to hear how people come to faith in Christ. And so I'd love for you to share with us how you became a believer. So I came to the Lord in a tiny little town up in the highlands of Brazil. Like most missionaries, I was not brought up in a Christian family. Actually, the Lord came into my life and the life of my family as they were going through a really rough season. My parents were going through a divorce. And mom first encountered the Lord in a little Bible study, which radically changed the outcome of their story. And through that and seeing the amazing power of Jesus restoring our family uh, as a child at that time, uh, and eight-year-old child. I gave my life to Jesus, and from that time onwards, have been surprised and, and cornered by His grace. That's awesome. Well, and, and you mentioned, you know, there at the beginning, that this was in Brazil, so so you were not originally, you're not originally from the United States. Tell us a little bit about what life was like for you growing up there in Brazil. I'm definitely not. I, I know my, my good Texan accent probably will fool you, but this is a Brazilian accent. <laughs> I was brought up in a, a really small town close to the mountains, and, and my going life was to rock climb every day and attend our little church until the Lord captured our heart for the nations. Uh, so very small town, simple life. At that time, I was I was teaching history. I was I was, I was teaching uh, just high school history. And the Lord opened my eyes to the reality of lostness and the harvest and whatnot. And that's when we moved to the States. I was around 20. And now you you live and serve in, in London, England. So tell us maybe kind of that story. How did you get from Brazil to the U.S. now in, in London? I know there's a lot of details in there. So share with us all the background. <laughs> so some people are really quick to discern what the Lord is doing and to join him. I'm not like that. I just appreciate the Lord's patience with me. Yet again, when we were going through through seminary, I was exposed to, to the reality of a planet and the diversity of many people who never heard of the name of Jesus and, and less than that, they heard the message of the gospel. So with that, we decided to pray and, and, and ask the Father and surrendering us to serve him as missionaries. And I made a little list uh, for the Lord. And I was like, Lord, I would like a place where the food is good, where the sun shines, and, and please some mountains would be good so I could go climbing. 
And uh, the door started opening for London. And I said, Lord, that can't be from you. I mean, the food is not great. And of course, as you know, the sun doesn't shine. But it was so clear. It was so clear how the Father opened that door for us and how the pieces start falling uh, together. And we decided to come and, and take a vision trip. Uh, was right after I graduated from seminary. And the overwhelming sense of lostness and yet potential and diversity of the city uh, just amazed me. So imagine you, Paul, coming from a little town in Brazil to one of the alpha cities of the world where just about every people group. And I was just like a kid in a candy shop where you are one person away from engaging all the nations of the world in one city. And immediately from that vision trip, we fell in love with the city of London and found ourselves praying, Lord, give us London, give us the city. Uh, and it has been a, a, a love relationship with the city ever since. You know, we hear about London, you know, it's, it's in the news, uh, historically a very well-known city. But tell us a little bit about maybe the, the state of the church in London. And we know that there's obviously the Church of England, but we know there are evangelical churches as well. But can you talk to us some about what that evangelical church presence looks like? Of course, yes. So we live in a reality uh, as far as Christianity goes in the UK and in general in Europe that we like to call, you know, it's a post-Christian context. London is a post-Christian city. And what does that mean? It's a place that had a great exposure to evangelical Christianity, to the gospel, where revivals took place, but through a series of circumstances, abandoned the centrality of the gospel and incorporated humanistic ideas as, as a lifestyle, which created, of course, a huge identity crisis. And that's how we see in London, there's a, there's a huge identity crisis. So your question would be, okay, how, how did that come to pass? And as we have been in the city on and off for 10 years, I think one of the elements is forgetting to make your city your mission field. So as nations start coming to London, most of the people in the city, they consider politically incorrect to engage those nations coming into the city as part of their mission field. And the reality is that descendants of the nations coming, they start growing and multiplying and whatnot and permeating and saturating the culture with a reality now that is not a Christ-centered reality, but whatever faith they brought into. And eventually that pushed out the centrality of the gospel and generated really a social a sense of social confusion. So the tension in London is... When, for example, Somalis start coming into the city in the 60s, they were not seen as a people group to be engaged in the city with the gospel, but instead to create space for them to live their lives. And the reality is as those people groups start growing in the city, Christianity itself start being pushed out. That's a great example with the Somalis. We obviously know there are a myriad of different people groups from different countries, different nations that are coming in, streaming into to Europe, and then obviously specifically to London as well. You mentioned this idea of kind of a post-Christian culture or a post-Christian society. Many of the people who may be listening to this it may live in the Bible Belt in the United States. So talk to us some about the challenges of reaching people in a post-Christian context. So the first one would be the denial or not having social permission to engage other nationalities with the gospel. 
on the excuse that is politically incorrect. And I know that we have some of this in some parts of the states. It's an institutional pressure to keep the gospel and the power of the gospel to save limited within the walls of the institution, the church institution. And the challenge is for the majority of people, the church has failed them. The challenge we face in a post-Christian context is for the majority of people, we've tried Christianity as it was presented to us in this context, going to a building or a place or following the Church of England, whatever, and it did not bring the results. So if the only way and the only place I can meet God is in one of those buildings, I'm not going to go there. So the initial challenge is to break down the walls and flood in with the light of Christ where darkness is meeting people where they are. And in the past, by God's grace, he started giving a lot of people vision for third places, coffee shops, intentionality meetings, uh, storming the streets with the message of the gospel. And those are really effective. But the most effective thing we're seeing in the context of London right now is bringing the message of the gospel to workplaces and meeting people where, where they are doing life for the majority of their time, making the gospel relevant. And, and I think your question is so good. If I can, I would just like to explore a little bit more because I think it could be very uh, relevant to our reality in America as well. The point in a post-Christian context is that it's not that the gospel doesn't have the power to save and, and transform lives, because we all know it does. But the problem is that the gospel has not been presented in a manner that is relevant to the struggles that people are facing. So we like to say we relate with people. First are we relate with people in post-Christian context to hear the stories and follow up with the master of the gospel that is relevant to the place where they find themselves. And out of that place of relevance, to invite people to respond to it. So we relate, we make the gospel relevant, we present within their reality, and we invite them into a response. You see, when we come from a Bible Belt context, the answer is always, Yes or no, and no means goodbye, I'm moving on to the next person. But in the post-Christian context is yes and not yet. Yes and not yet. And following up and journeying with people and walking with people for a season. So I'll give an example. Our first assignment in London, we focus in an area of Greek Cypriots. And if you know, Greek secrets are one of the most unreached people groups in Western Europe. And I walked with a specific man for a year sharing the gospel. We used to run together. Man, I, I ran miles and miles with that guy sharing the gospel. Until after one year, I shared with my wife, like, I think we're done. We did all the relating and making relevant, but the response is always negative. I'm going to meet with him today and, and I'm going to say, bro, I love you but I think we're going to move on. And that day he looked at me and said, Alex, please don't give up on me. It's just that I'm a mess. I cannot see how God would take me. And from that place, the gospel clicked. He received a revelation of the gospel that accumulated from relating and presenting the gospel. And he gave his life to Jesus that day. 
reaching a specific people group with the gospel demands specialized training and a global vision. Southern Seminary supports these ministry goals through theological education that is trusted for truth. A degree in missiology from Southern Seminary provides students with the biblical foundation and theological training necessary to take the gospel into all the world. The program prepares graduates to serve as missionaries, church planters, and ministry leaders anywhere in the world. To learn more about Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, and doctoral degrees available through the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. There you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. The web address again is sbts.edu bgs. You know, so obviously the Lord is doing some things. There are challenges. It's, it's not easy. It can be very difficult context. There's, like you mentioned, there's governmental pressure. There's societal pressure. But the Lord is doing some good things. And so I would love to, to hear you share, you know, maybe similar to what you just shared. As you think back over the last two to three years and kind of the work that you all have been involved in in London, what are some of the, the, the encouraging things that you're seeing the Lord doing? You know, there's people all around the world who are praying for you and praying for your work. So tell yeah. us what the Lord's up to. Well, first of all, we do appreciate the prayers and they make a huge difference even in the outcome of what we're seeing here. So in a post-Christian context, it's important to understand that people are not coming from uh, the atheistic place we believe they are. That's a mistake. Many missionaries or Christians come to Europe loaded against or prepared to engage a reality that, is, uh, that doesn't believe in the spiritual. That is no longer the case in Europe. We're dealing with the most uh, spiritual generations we can. People are extremely spiritual. They're extremely open to a spiritual reality. The reality, especially as we're talking about uh, younger generations, millennials and Zs, they're completely spiritual aware. And many of them know that some of the brokenness they're going through that are coming in the form of sadness or anxiety, they have a spiritual element to it because of this deep inner search. We started what we like to call well groups, which are groups that use ministries of care through prayer to meet with people and study simple Bible stories that are stories of hope, reframing their struggles in light of the Lord Jesus Christ, his uh, love to heal, his control over every circumstance and how we fit under that. And the fruit of that was, was amazing. We just saw a lot of people coming into the kingdom as instead of ignoring their struggles of anxiety and stress and depression, which are very common in a post-Christian context, especially London, as a vehicle of bringing them into community, a Christian community, as well as into a relationship with Jesus. That has been fascinating. You would be surprised, Paul, at the amount of people that will say yes on the streets of London if you offer to pray for them. 90% of the people in general, as you're walking around and say, hey, listen, uh, my name is Alex. I'm just walking through the neighborhood. I love Jesus and I'm just blessing people. I'm just praying for people. Is there anything I can pray for you? You would be surprised at the amount of people who say, yes, please. And we receive prayer. And you'd be surprised at the amount of people that after you pray for them, 
they experienced the presence of God, they experienced the love of God, and they would like to follow up and engage and learn more about that. So this is fascinating. So Jess, my wife and I were asking the Father for strategies to engage people in a post-Christian context in a way that is truthful and yet valid that will bring fruits uh, into the kingdom. And we had the idea of making business cards, which are real, a website where we present ourselves to people as spiritual coaches. Our visa in this country is a ministry of religion visa. I have a degree in theology, so I am a spiritual coach. So people ask us, so, so what do you do? It's like, I'm a spiritual coach. It's like, whoa, interesting. What kind of spirituality do you follow? And our, our answer is, well, we follow the non-religious teachings of Jesus. Oh, I never heard about the non-religious teachings of Jesus. Can you share that with us? And the beauty is, of course, we share the gospel. the reality of a loving God who longs to establish, establish relationship with mankind and so on. And people very commonly say afterwards, oh, I, I think I need a spiritual coach. A lot of the things I'm going through, I believe, are spiritual. You have some time and we joke, said, I don't know, we're pretty busy right now. So we're kidding. We, we can meet. And from that, we start a relationship, a discipleship relationship with people. It's just a way of reframing the gospel, the non-religious teachings of Jesus, and presenting Jesus to people the way he was, uh, as loving, caring, and almighty redeemer that can bring them out of their brokenness uh, as they walk with him. So that's an example of reframing in London and making the message of the gospel relevant into their realities. I mentioned earlier, obviously, you're in one of the most well-known cities in the world in London. And maybe you've answered some of this already, but I'd be curious if you have any additional thoughts here. What do you believe it takes to do faithful ministry in urban cities like London and or maybe other cities across Europe? What does it take to do faithful ministry in these places? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I think one and the first piece for the worker is alignment with the Lord's way of seeing his kingdom coming. We are great visionaries. I think Bonhoeffer used to say that God is not looking for great visionaries, but obedient servants. And I think that's the first piece. I cannot think of any instance in the world when God tells someone to do something that he is not willing to share how he wants it done. He doesn't look at Noah and say, hey, Noah, build me a boat. And by the way, be creative. No, he tells him exactly how he wants it done. So the first piece in alignment is prayer. It's prayer. It's like, Lord, would you, first of all, would you allow me to feel your heart for the city? We talk a lot about spiritual warfare. And yet I feel many times we get confused in how it plays out. And one of the realities, the most effective tool of spiritual warfare is the enemy mining your heart against loving the people you're serving with. And it's like, Lord, first of all, would you create in my heart compassion? Would you allow me to see the city of London like you see the city of London? And that's the starting point is loving, is walking amongst them. So prayer is the first piece. Lord, how do you want it done? What are the keys that you're giving to your people here to engage lostness? What are the keys? Lord, what are the gates of hell that are opening the city that the enemy is using to keep people in bondage? And what are your ways to engage? So that's the first thing, prayer. The second thing is passion. We've experienced and we believe that as we pray, 
and invite the Lord to allow us to see the city as he sees. He burns in our, in our heart passion for him, passion for him, his kingdom, and compassion for people. So prayer, passion, and then we move towards people. And then we move towards where people are. Our experience in a city like London is there's this slice of society that is really hurting, is really open to the gospel. So we personally adapted a strategy based on Isaiah 61, looking for those who are oppressed, who are broken, those who are prisoners, those who are captive. And that could be the urban poor, but there's a lot of spiritual poverty amongst the rich too. And what? Because even as Isaiah says, and I, the Lord, will remove the ashes from the head and will put a crown. And then what happens with those? And they will be called oaks of righteousness. They will be the rebuilders of broken city, not, not me. So it's, it's raising from prayer, passion for God and his kingdom, compassion for people, and then going to people, seeing the Lord building an army of people that experience the healing power and love of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. The one thing not to do to engage a city is to come in with, like prejudice or evangelical prejudice in the city in the sense of believing that God is not at work. So many times, Paul, and I know you heard this too from the time you, you were, you're serving with us, that Europe is the cemetery of missionaries. This is a lie. This is not true. God is at work. If anything, Europe is becoming the last stage. The Father is raising the nations People are coming here with the kingdom vision from sub-Saharan Africa. People are coming here from America. People, people are coming here from Latin America. People are coming here from South Asia with one vision to see King Jesus ruling over Europe as well. It is really encouraging to see that as we align our hearts to him, allow him to feel his emotions for the city and engage with people like Christ would engage with people, we see lives being transformed. Amen. I appreciate you you sharing that. This next question I want to ask you is a little bit more personal in nature, but it's a it's a question I ask everybody that I interview. And that question is, Alex, day after day, week after week, and month after month, what keeps you there in that place? And why are you giving your life to this work? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. And I did not prepare for this one. So help me, Lord. All right. I don't think you can see the level of brokenness of a city or hear, hear the cry of brokenness and not do anything about it. Uh, I mean, seriously, it can be closer to our hearts to engage with places in the jungle or places that are behind a veil of faith systems that keep people from hearing the name of Jesus. But for me, the reality, the reality of a, uh, one of the most developed and influenced cities in the world with access to information, pushing down the message of the gospel as something irrelevant, that's just not acceptable. This is just not acceptable. The, the reality that this is the future of America, for example, is unacceptable. The, the reality that, that the gospel in the minds of people in a post-Christian setting, stop being the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, not being real anymore in a post-Christian context for us is unacceptable. You see, once the Lord allows you to hear the heartbeat of the city, to hear the cry of the city, 
and to hear his heart for the city, you get trapped. It's a good trap. I love, I think it's Ezekiel 22, 30. The father says to the prophet, I've looked all over the land for someone who would bridge the gap, who would stand the gap between me and the city so I wouldn't have to destroy them. And, and you almost can hear in the passage of Ezekiel, God's tearing up and saying, but I found no one. We're like, here we are, Lord. We're not much. We're not much. But take us. I mean, here, here it is. And whatever it takes, it's just that whatever it takes attitude to see the kingdom coming. And, and Paul, deep inside, I would love to see all those guys saying that the gospel is not relevant anymore, being proved wrong, because it is. It is. It is the solution for the city. It is the solution for the mental health epidemic we're seeing in London after COVID, for example. Jesus is the solution. He still has power. He's still healing. He's still restoring. So that, that paradox of, of the father building broken cities by the power of his name, that fascinates me. And, and London is, is that place. If, if it can happen here, it can happen anywhere. Isn't that cool? If it can happen here, it can happen anywhere. That's right. Alex, thank you for, for being transparent and just sharing your heart with us. You are spot on. The gospel is still powerful. It is still the power to save. In London, it doesn't matter where you are on the planet. It, that's still the only hope that we have in this world. And so I appreciate you sharing your heart on that. Last question I want to ask you, what is one thing you want everyone listening to this podcast to know or to do? I think we feel all knew that once we place our faith in Christ, Nothing was kept from us, that we were brought into this amazing kingdom of light by faith, would release us to live a bold life of expanding that kingdom. I think in Western Christianity, we have been obsessed with the fixing of self when God already dealt with self on the cross, and that keeps us not focused in what he's focusing to expanding his kingdom and making the name of his son known by the making of disciples. I think if we could know this, we could be focused on what he's focused on of breaking the yoke of heaviness in those who haven't yet believed that that for me would be awesome because it took a long time for me to figure this one out. And once by his grace, he starts showing that to me that released me to, to be free and take the gospel. I think that one builds it into the doing piece, which is, <laughs> I would like you to get over yourself. <laughs> I like you to get over yourself and embrace a lifestyle by faith of praise, knowing that in Christ, all the promises are yes and amen. That the reality of righteousness that is fascinating is ours today by faith. And with that, received this amazing privilege of being ambassadors of Christ and instruments of reconciliation. And I'm not telling you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself and then not doing myself. I think it's a daily getting over myself thing and embracing the, the life of the new man God in Christ has given us and seeing the fulfillment of his plan of bringing all things into submission there, under Christ. Alex, thank you for, for taking time to talk with us today. It's a joy to see you, to hear all the Lord's doing in and through you there, and just know that we will continue to pray. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much.
I hope you enjoyed hearing from Alex today. Please pray for him, his family, and their work in London. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.